and it is a a pleasure to be a part of this program and to be involved in it and especially with the topic that we have tonight to discuss I'm thrilled to be able to discuss that with you before we begin though let's start with a prayer will you pray with me our dear God and our Father, we are so thankful for your blessings and your mercy and your care. We're thankful, Father, for your patience and long-suffering with us. We're thankful for your loving kindness that is, show, is shown in so many ways. We're thankful for the church here at Delreda, and we pray that you will bless the elders, the deacons, each member, as we strive to work together in unity and harmony to further the cause of Christ. We're thankful, Father, for all of those throughout the world that work with us and partner with us in the efforts in which we exert from this location. Be with us in our study tonight, and we pray that as we look at your word, that it will change our lives in ways that we will be more acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever the topics were first given out in regard to this or made available, I saw the topic that I'm speaking on tonight, and, and I was really thrilled because, oh, about uh, 15 or so years ago, I presented uh, a week-long study on the epistles of John, the general epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that's found in the Bible. And for those of you that, that may not be as familiar with the Bible as others, these are just small epistles that are found at the very end of the Bible. Uh, right before the book of Revelation. And if uh, you would, after hearing this, I'd encourage you to turn and read those because you'll find powerful lessons. And hopefully what we will suggest to you will give you greater insight to the writings of John. But our topic tonight focuses upon John the Apostle. And John has a number of commendable qualities about him. Uh, probably he is the most well-known apostle. He is known as the apostle of love, but that's not where he started, and we'll talk about that tonight. But as we discuss this, you'll see that John illustrates for us the wonderful transformation that occurs whenever one comes into contact and association with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And as the, uh, the graphic tries to portray, you can take a square peg and, and transform it into a round one. Uh, it's a subtle process. You whittle a little there, a little uh, elsewhere, and, and pretty soon you have a finished product out of a rough beginning. And John illustrates that. But let me introduce the lesson with a story that has been told in a number of different ways. Uh, in, in the notes that I will make available to you, and these will be posted online, there's a longer uh, edition of this story, but let me just quickly summarize it for you. The story is, is entitled that of uh, the sheep thief and the saint, and it illustrates so well the, the point of transformation. The story talks about two little boys that uh, grew up in, overseas in Great Britain. Uh, they were of, of the poorest family. They were hungry. They were starving. Right next to them was this large estate, uh, hundreds of heads of sheep and cattle and other livestock available. So the boys decided that they would go and they'd steal a sheep. Uh, 
Well, the laws at that time were very strict, and so as the boys were caught, uh, they were taken to the blacksmith, and there they were branded on the head with the letters S-T. And as the letters were branded, uh, it, it, it caused uh, tremendous uh, pain, obviously, not only physically, but there was some that uh, one of the, the brothers decided that it was just too great a uh, problem because he knew even after the, the burning ceased, he would have the shame and embarrassment uh, that would come to him in the community. And so he went out and he committed suicide. The other brother decided that he would not allow this to happen, but he decided that he could change his life. And so he began, he knew that the letters ST would be with him always, but he thought that he could change his behavior, and he did. And he began to do good things without charge to others. He helped wherever he could. Uh, and soon, slowly, over the course of years that he lived in that village, uh, the earlier incidents of his thievery were erased Whenever he died, his body lay in state and two little boys came with their families and they saw the ST on his forehead. And one of them said, what does that mean? And the other said, I don't know. I guess it might mean saint. Well, another edition of that story says that a foreigner comes and they see the old man doing good deeds and that sees the ST and they ask what the ST means, and the old man says, well, I don't know. Uh, it was something that happened in the past long ago and is forgotten now, and it has no bearing on where he is. We just see it as him being a saint, and we think that ST stands for saint. Well, that illustrates, I think, very well the point that I want to communicate with you in our lesson tonight on the Apostle John. Uh, we, we all live and we all speak and we all behave at times that are embarrassing and that we're ashamed about. And you can allow those either to beat you down and, and to just put you into exile or you can use those to change your life and modify your behavior. And we'll conclude by asking at the end of the lesson, how's that transformation coming. Well, as we begin thinking about this, the transformation from that of, of the roughest, honoriest, meanest person into that of a saint is possible. And it's possible in your life as well. And this, the Christian enjoys the blessings of transformation. But have you ever thought that that which you are today will be eclipsed by what you become tomorrow? So what will your tomorrow be? Well, it largely depends on what your today is. And so what you do with today determines what your tomorrow is going to be. Christianity is a becoming experience. And that means it's transitional. It's always transforming. It's always fluid. And perhaps no other passage speaks about this clearly as Romans 12, 1 and 2 
where the Bible tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the word transform from, comes from the Greek term metamorpho, from which we get our English word metamorphosis, which talks about a total change. And that's the way it is with Christianity. See, whenever you become transformed by your association with Christ, all things are made new in your life. And what a wonderful blessing that is. That transformation touches all aspects of your life. And people begin to look at you in an entirely different way in which they now do. And, and this end result is very encouraging because it demonstrates an obvious difference in your life. You once were this, but now you are that. You have morphed into that which is more godly and more acceptable to God. And this remarkable transformation provides great joy for Christians. And because of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are no longer bound by the guilt of our sinful choices. And that's illustrated very well in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, as Paul is talking about the Corinthians, and he talks to them specifically about sins that they were known for committing and that they had committed. And he said, and those that participate in such, they do not have the kingdom of God. And then he adds this, he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you are justified. Joyful results. You don't have to stay where you are. You do not have to claim victimization of your life because you are in this position. You're always in that position. Not so according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can be changed. That past tense can be used in your life. You were like this, but you're not like that now. The Christian is progressing and changing and transforming in life into the blessed image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Apostle John illustrates this for us so clearly. The Apostle John, as we said, is often identified as the Apostle of love. But loving uh, wasn't that which characterized his earlier years. And in fact, even after John was called by Christ to be one of his apostles, there was still some transforming that needs to be made, that needed to be made in his life. Think about his earlier years. In his early years, John was a fisherman. He was a regular hand on the dock. And that kind of association and that vocation would put you in the company of those folks that just aren't very nice at all. He would have been exposed to the roughest and the rudest rogues that society produced. They would have had bad languages, ill manners, their pride and their mortal strength. All of that would have been a part of those with whom John associated. Well, John also, although he was involved in that kind of, of group, John became a... a disciple of John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 40. And John, even in his earlier years, even though he had the type of, 
uh, background and that environment in which he was lived and grew up in and worked, John began changing. He possessed a sincere heart, a loyalty that made him a part of the inner circle of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He was joined by Peter and James in this. John was perhaps closer to the Lord than any of the other apostles. In fact, we know John as the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, we know John as the one who leaned upon uh, Christ at the, the last meal. There are four traits of John's disposition that are highlighted by scriptures. Uh, at the beginning, these traits are not very complimentary, and we see the influence of the fishing dock in his life. However, that transformation... That metamorphosis begins. And what was once uncomplimentary in John's life becomes a very great compliment after John was associated with Christ. Wouldn't you love to have that kind of transformation in your life? Where you are, are changed so drastically that you do not have the, the toils and the troubles you do not have all the fusses and the fights and the conflicts that are so common in life. All of that is past. It's in the past tense. That's possible. And listen to what we find in John's life. How can the uncomplimentary become complimentary? Well, look at this. Before John's association with Jesus Christ, first thing that we note about him was that he did not have many positive social skills. In fact, he had a very violent temper. Whenever he saw insults given to Jesus, John instantly became angry. And the son of thunder, Jesus called him that in Mark 3, 17. He gave the name Bonergus, which means sons of thunder to James and John. John was a hothead. John was quick to speak, slow to speak, and uh, slow to think. Quick to speak and slow to speak. Slow to think. He wasn't thinking before he was speaking. And so, in, in, in a number of cases, John's quick temper and his violent anger erupted. Just as, as you would hear a, a clap of thunder just suddenly appear and was a, uh, explosive. Well, this is typical of John. That's the kind of fellow he was. He was a hot-headed fellow. He was a son of thunder. Another thing, John was a man of worldly ambition. He wanted first place. He wanted the place of preeminence. He wanted the spotlight in his life. And he shared a desire that many demonstrated in his day and also continue to be demonstrated today. To John, possession of status and the pomp of position was very important and evidently to his mother as well. And so they were bound and determined to do that. Another trait is that John had a biased intolerance. He was jealous about the group he was in. And he wanted to guard that because his interest lay in pride in his party instead of in the truth of his behavior. 
And so he wanted to receive the honor that comes from being associated with this particular party. And then a fourth thing about John is that he had a dysfunctional love. He could speak from experience in 1 John 2.15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. John could say that. He was speaking from personal experience in his, in his own life. He was loving. He had strong affections and strong desires and strong feelings. And yet they were all misguided. They were totally dysfunctional. Now think about those four things and let's see how they begin to change whenever he comes into association with Jesus Christ. After his association with Christ, John was exposed to Christ's words. He observed Christ's behavior. Incidentally, he was even rebuked uh, by the authority of Christ and told to change his behavior. And these actions resulted in John and his transformation. Physically, we'll see in the after after point, we'll see that uh, he was physically the same man. He still had the same personal characteristics that he had growing up on the docks. However, these traits had undergone an amazing transformation. And as we think about John and, and this transformation, now we began to portray him as the apostle of love. Well, and, and this transformation especially is seen in the general epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so there's a number of verses that we won't have time to explore and discuss, but you can look at the notes or you can look at the slides and jot these down. The first thing, there was a transformation in his social skills. Remember how hot-headed he was, what a violent temper that he had. No longer did he allow his explosive temper to erupt. No longer did the claps of thunder just suddenly explode in the midst of, of his uh, group where he was. John's outrage was no longer kindled by personal insults, but now he still had a thundering anger. But now his thundering anger was directed toward those who insulted the Almighty God. And there are a number of verses, but to me, 2 John verses 9 through 11 is one of the clearest. There John said, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into his house, into your house, and do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting is... Uh, participates in his evil deeds. Now, you read those words, they're very blunt, very forthright, and you can sense the anger that John has at those folks that will not stay within the boundaries and the borders that God's law has said, and he became angry. He was no longer angry over personal insults and personal losses and personal offenses. But now he was angry over God being deprived of the honor and dignity that he deserved. What stirs your anger? Has your anger been transformed so that now you're no longer angry at the personal insults and injuries, but you are incensed 
whenever God's way is not followed. But look at another point. His purpose in life was changed. Remember, his purpose in life before Christ was worldly ambition, and even at the beginning of his life with Christ. He wanted the first and second place. He wanted ambition. He wanted the place of the ruler. But now, his purpose in life, his ambition was redirected. And John's ambition was no longer for worldly possessions and worldly status, but now he strove to grasp the spiritual values and the eternal welfare. Second John, verses 4 through 6, gives us an insight to this. John said, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just if you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in. That was his consuming ambition. That's what he wanted. That was his purpose in life. What is your ambition? What is your purpose? What is it that, that drives your day and, and consumes the thoughts that you have? Now, so many, so many are focused only upon this world and the associations of this world, and they fail to lift their eyes up and look at the eternal point. But look at another point. John's transformation is seen in the devotion that he had. After following Jesus Christ, learning from Christ, witnessing the life of Christ, John, he was still intolerant, but his intolerance took on a new directive. John was zealous for the truth. He was urgent in pressing people to have the right attitude regarding Christ Jesus, and he did not hesitate to point out where error were leading some away from the truth. John would not sit silently and be politically correct. He would be seen by some as being insensitive and being blunt, and yet John was devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth. Listen to this bluntness in 1 John 2 and verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now, talk about bluntness. John said, if, you're, if you claim to follow Christ and you're not doing what the Bible says you ought to do, you're lying. Well, look at another point. The next point is that of love that was transformed. John had exercised a love, a love for the world, a love for the things of the world, a love for the pomp and circumstance of the world. But after being associated with Christ and being transformed by the Lord's uh, presence, John's love was also changed. This love, as you read in the, the epistles of John, is from the Greek word agapeo, which means to, to serve. And John came to realize that it was no longer self to be served, but it was the Lord to be served. And this redirection changed his entire life. 1 John 4.19 sums this up. John says we love because he first loved us. Jesus has shown us the way to love. 
Well, as you, you think about this and you look at John, here as you view the Apostle John in these ways, it explains how, why and how modern believers are to govern their ambition, direct their anger, express their intolerance in regard to spiritual issues, and yet still be known as a disciple, a beloved disciple of the Lord. What an amazing transformation we see in this apostle and how practical it is for us. Now, the life of the apostle John illustrates for us the wonder of being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I can't walk by Christ side by side as John did. We can't sit down at the Last Supper as John did. You can't witness his crucifixion as John did or, or receive his mother as John did to watch over her. But you can read the Bible. You can study the Bible. And only by doing that are you able to be transformed as John was. Now, you can't just close the Bible and expect somehow osmosis to take place and you're going to be changed. You just can't expect to, to come to church services and hear the Bible preached or sit in a Bible class and hear the Bible taught and not do any more. You've got to read the Bible. And if there's anything that I think we need to stress more than anything else, it's reading the Bible. People don't read the Bible today. And if you don't read the Bible, how can you be transformed as we need to be transformed to become in the image of Christ. Throughout the Bible, there is a constant requirement, a constant urging that we are to be transformed because of our association with Christ. And that association is found in the Bible. Look at some verses. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. There the Bible says that we all, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Now the word beholding talks about a steady gaze. It, it talks about a, a focused concentration. It's talking there about Bible study. And in the context, it's talking about Moses. Moses, as he went into the presence of God, was changed. But now... It's not just one person, but the entire church is to be transformed. And we are to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that comes back, as we saw in Romans 12, 1 and 2, having our minds redirected, renewing our minds. So another passage is Colossians 3, 5 through 17, an amazing paragraph that talks about this metamorphosis that takes place in the Christian's life. It describes the before and after of the Christian. The key verse is found in verse 10. But now you have put on the new self, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The word renewed there literally refers to renovation or reconstruction. That's where you go in, you completely tear out the insides. The outside looks the same, but the inside at the end of the job is totally changed, drastically changed. And this renovation takes place only through our knowledge. And how does our knowledge change? Through the reading of the Bible. If you don't read the Bible, there's no way that you'll be able to have this transformation that takes place. Two other passages of Scripture that we find here. Uh... Galatians 5, 16, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. 
These are, are amazing passages to study. We just don't have time to look at those, but they all state there the requirement, a constant urging. You are urged by God every day to read His Word, to hear His Word, to communicate with Him through the Bible. Now let's talk about the application real quick. Every Christian ought to look at their life and see an amazing transformation that has taken place. You should be able to observe in your own life that you once were a son of thunder, but now you're an apostle of love. You should be able to say, as Philemon verse 11 does, that once you were useless, but now you are useful. You should wonderfully realize that once you practice things that you don't practice now, and these are things of which you are ashamed. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 through 22 is another amazing paragraph of Scripture. But within that paragraph is this Jim thought. What benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? There are so many in the world that are caught up in worldly things and worldly pursuits, worldly speech, worldly recreational venues, worldly habits, and they think they can't live without this. But the Bible says, what benefit are these to you? And there's absolutely no benefit. And as you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Bible says that now you look back on what you did and you're ashamed of it. It's an embarrassing situation that you find. Now here's the point I'd like for you to remember from the Apostle John. John tells us that the most wonderful blessing that you can have on earth is a do-over. A do-over of all your choices. Every one of us have made some bad choices. Every one of us are embarrassed by previous actions. Every one of us are ashamed of previous behaviors. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned. All have fallen short. So every one of us ought to be ashamed. Now, if you don't feel that shame for previous actions or words or life, you really can't appreciate John's transformation. Now, think about that for a moment. The most wonderful blessing is that of a do-over to erase all those embarrassing moments in which you are ashamed. Many have realized this truth they were ashamed, embarrassed, they were burdened by the physical and the emotional and the spiritual weight of sin. But they were given a chance to do it all over again, to start over. And they seized that opportunity to start over. They lived a life of tears and fear, of crying, of hurt, of agony. And all of that could be erased here is the opportunity to get over the misery that life is giving you. If your heart is sensitive, then you understand what we mean by these words, that you are ashamed of the things for which you have done. Here is the offer that you can start it all over again. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... 
He is a new creature. And don't you love this? The old things are passed away. They're gone. They're completely erased. They are forever gone. And there is an offer to start over. God is offering you that through the Apostle John and his life. But you have to choose to follow God's conditions. And so there's two significant points here. Rather blunt. Number one, do you want to change? Some folks don't want to change. They love the life they're living. They don't see any need to change. Whatever happens isn't their fault. It's somebody else's fault. And how convenient they have to have someone that they can blame it on. Well, do you want to be unburdened from the past that is shameful and embarrassing to you? But then think about this question. Proverbs 10, 7 says, The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. <laughs> but look at the point. He is either a son of thunder or an apostle of love. Which do you choose? The piercing question arises from this absolute fact. And that absolute fact is you're going to be remembered. Oh, you'll be remembered. People will look at you. They'll look at photos. They'll, they'll talk about you and they'll talk about the relatives. That you, you're going to be remembered. How will you be remembered, though, is the point that we need to understand. How will folks... Treat your memory. Now let us understand we're all born differently. And they, each one of us have some genetic proclivities that will uh, offer us temptations more alluring in some areas that others wouldn't even consider. That's just the way you're made. And so you're tempted in some ways that others aren't. And more and more, the science is saying, you're getting that from your family. It comes from the genetics that you have. You can't do anything about the genetics. You have those proclivities, but you can do something about your choices in regard to those proclivities. And so, in your family history, you look at the emotional, the mental, the physical, the interpersonal relationships that take place. You've inherited that. That's where you are. And the devil will use that in your life. Some are good, but some are irritating, and some are absolutely immoral. It's up to you to choose. How will you control your genetic engineering? You don't have to do it. You have a choice. And so the question is, will you follow the tempting choice, be known by the family traits, and be a son of thunder? If John hadn't changed, that's, they would have said, well, you remember that old boy? He'd fly off the handle in a moment. He was one of those sons of thunder. But he didn't want to live like his family was, was disposed to live. So will you be a son of thunder or will you refuse the temptation and become an apostle of love? And then going back to the opening illustration... Will you be remembered as a sheep thief or a saint? Several other passages will help us to understand this. 
and then the application change is required. Interesting phrase in Galatians 4.19 that we are to continue study and developing and transforming until Christ is formed in you. Paul tells us that in Galatians 2 and verse 20. No longer me that lives. He says, Christ lives in me. How does that take place? The same way that the son of thunder became the apostle of love. Through association with Christ, through personal decision and, and determination to put away those, uh, those temptations. We need to understand that transformation is not optional. You, you can't stay at the same point. Uh, you either advance or you regress in Christianity. We need to advance. Hebrew writer says, when by reason of time you ought to be teachers. See, they, they didn't progress, they regressed. Acts 4.13 says, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood they were uneducated and untrained, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Well, let us understand that transformation is not optional. We must be transformed in our minds so that our thoughts will transform our actions. This urges us to turn to Jesus Christ. We need to read, believe, and integrate our decision-making processes with the Holy Word of God. That's the only acceptable standard. So let me go back to the question. How will you be remembered? As a son of thunder or as an apostle of love? How is metamorphosis taking place right now? Maybe you haven't even started. If not, you need to begin. You've got to start changing. If you need to start changing, then I urge you to read the Bible and do what the Bible says. And we at the Dalrater Church of Christ will be glad to correspond with you. If you're listening online or you've stumbled across this online, you can see our address, email us, and we'll be glad to enter in and communicate. If you're in our immediate area, we would love to sit down and talk with you as much as we can right now during the COVID restrictions, but uh, we would love to do that. We can communicate. And as you do that, you'll come to understand how that transformation begins. You start out with the square and then slowly you begin to change and, and develop until at the end it's something totally different from what you were. But very briefly, if you haven't begun transformation, you need to. You need to begin it by obeying Christ. And that's where John did. Even after he became associated with Christ, remember John had problems, he had mistakes. So becoming a Christian doesn't mean you're automatically going to be perfect. You're not. There's no perfect Christians. John wasn't, and you won't be either, but John stayed with it. And he developed, and he matured, and so can you. 
To become a Christian, you need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was sent to die for your sins, so that all those things that are embarrassing and that you are ashamed of doing and that you find no benefit, those can be removed completely. You're going to repent. You're turning away from them. You're not going to do them anymore. You're going to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came and loved you and died for you, and then you're going to be buried with Christ in baptism. And in, in the waters of baptism, in immersion, the Bible says your sins are washed away. All things become new. The past is gone. And you arise to walk a new person. And you begin your road of transformation. If as a Christian you've done those things and, and you have not been transforming as you ought to, let John emphasize the blunt message that you don't really have an option in this. You've confessed loyalty to Christ. And so you must transfer. You have mistakes. You have errors. You, you have those things that are embarrassing. And but you can confess those and the blood of Jesus will forgive you of those sins. It's like John said over in 1 John chapter 1. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins. That's the continuous present. It continues to cleanse us. If we can help you to, uh, to begin this transformation, then please contact us. I hope that the lesson tonight has, has challenged you and will help you to uh, resolve that you're going to follow God more perfectly. Thank you for joining us. And as Doug said, we invite you to join us this coming Sunday morning on the Lord's Day worship at 10 a.m. Thank you very much.